Section 23 of A Popular History of France, Volume 5. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Popular History of France from the Earliest Times, Volume 5, by François Guizot, translated by Robert Black. Chapter 38. Louis XIII, Cardinal Richelieu and the Court, 1622-1642, Part 4. Richelieu had never forgotten Mademoiselle d'Hautefort's heirs. He feared her, and accused her to the king of being concerned in Monsieur's continual intrigues. Louis XIII's growing affection for young Saint-Marc, son of Marshal Defia, was beginning to occupy the gloomy monarch, and he the more easily sacrificed Mademoiselle d'Hautefort. The cardinal merely asked him to send her away for a fortnight. She insisted upon hearing the order from the king's own mouth. Quote, the fortnight will last all the rest of my life, she said, and so I take leave of your majesty forever. She went, accompanied by the regrets and tears of Anne of Austria, and leaving the field open to the new favorite, the king's quote-unquote rattle, as the cardinal called him. Monsieur de Cinq-Mars was only nineteen when he was made master of the wardrobe and grand equerry of France. Brilliant and witty, he amused the king and occupied the leisure which peace gave him, the passion louis the thirteenth felt for his favorite was jealous and capricious he upbraided the young man for his flights to paris to see his friends in the elegant society of the marais and sometimes also mary de gonzaga daughter of the duke of mantua wooed but lately by the duke of orleans and not indifferent it was said to the vows of monsieur le grand as saint mars was called the complaints were detailed to richelieu by the king himself in a strange correspondence which reminds one of the quote-unquote reports of his quarrels with mademoiselle d'hautefort i am very sorry wrote louis the thirteenth on the fourth of january sixteen forty one to trouble you about the ill tempers of monsieur le grand i upbraided him with his heedlessness he answered that for that matter he could not change and that he should do no better than he had done I said that, considering his obligations to me, he ought not to address me in that manner. He answered in his usual way, that he didn't want my kindness, that he could do very well without it, and that he would be quite as well content to be Saint-Marc as Monsieur Le Grand, but as for changing his ways in his life, he couldn't do it. And so, he continually nagging at me and I at him, we came as far as the courtyard when I said to him that, being in the temper he was in, he would do me the pleasure of not coming to see me. I have not seen him since." signed louis this time the cardinal reconciled the king and the favorite whom he had himself placed near him but whose constant attendance upon the king his master he was beginning to find sometimes very troublesome quote, one day he sent word to him not to be for the future so continually at his heels and treated him even to his face with so much tartness and imperiousness as if he had been the lowest of his valets Saint-Marc began to lend an ear to those who were egging him on against the cardinal. Then began a series of negotiations and intrigues. The Duke of Orléans had come back to Paris, the king was ill and the cardinal more so than he. Thence arose conjectures and insensate hopes. The Duke of Bouillon, being sent for by the king, who confided to him the command of the army of Italy, was at the same time drawn into the plot which was beginning to be woven against the minister the duke of orleans and the queen were in it and the town of sedan of which bouillon was prince sovereign was wanted to serve the authors of the conspiracy as an asylum in case of reverse sedan alone was not sufficient there was need of an army whence was it to come thoughts naturally turned towards spain for so perilous a treaty a negotiator was required and the grand equerry proposed his friend viscount de fontrailles a man of wit who detested the cardinal and who would have considered it a simpler plan to assassinate him 
He consented, however, to take charge of the negotiation, and he set out for Madrid, where his treaty was soon concluded in the name of the Duke of Orleans. The Spaniards were to furnish twelve thousand foot and five thousand horse, four hundred thousand crowns down, twelve thousand crowns pay a month, and three hundred thousand livres to fortify the frontier town which was promised by the Duke. Sedan, Saint-Marc, and the Duke of Bouillon were only mentioned in a separate instrument. The king was then at Narbonne, on his way to his army, which was besieging Parpignan. The grand equerry was with him. Fontrailles went to call upon him. Quote, I do not intend to be seen by anybody, said he, but to make speedily for England, as I do not think I am strong enough to undergo the torture the cardinal might put me to in his own room on the least suspicion. End quote. On the 21st of April, the cardinal was dangerously ill, and the king left him at Narbonne, a prey to violent fever, with an abscess on the arm which prevented him from writing, whilst Saint-Marc, ever present and ever at work, was doing his best to insinuate into his master's mind suspicion of the minister, and the hopes founded upon his disgrace or death. The king listened, as he subsequently avowed, in order to discover his favorite's wicked thoughts, and make him tell all he had in his heart. Quote, the king was tacitly the head of this conspiracy, says Madame de Motteville. The grand equerry was the soul of it. The name made use of was that of the Duke of Orléans, the king's only brother, and their counsel was the Duke of Bouillon, who joined with them because, having belonged to the party of M. de Soissons, he was in very ill odour at court. They all formed fine projects, touching the change that was to take place to the advantage of their aggrandizement and fortunes, persuading themselves that the cardinal could not live above a few days, during which he would not be able to set himself right with the king. Such were their projects and their hopes when the Gazette de France, on the 21st of June, 1642, gave these two pieces of news both together. Quote, the Cardinal Duke, after remaining two days at Arles, embarked on the 11th of this month for Tarascon, his health becoming better and better. The King has ordered under arrest Marquis de Saint-Marc, Grand Equerry of France. Great was the surprise, and still greater was the dismay amongst the friends of Saint-Marc. Your grand designs are as well known at Paris as that the Seine flows under the Pont Neuf, wrote Mary de Gonzaga to him a few days previously those grand designs so imprudently divulged caused a presentiment of great peril when left alone with his young favourite and suddenly overwhelmed amidst his army with cares and business of which his minister usually relieved him the king had too much wit not to perceive the frivolous insignificance of saint-marc compared with the mighty capability of the cardinal Quote, i love you more than ever he wrote to richelieu we have been too long together to be ever separated as i wish everybody to understand in reply, the cardinal had sent him a copy of the treaty between Saint-Marc and Spain. The king could not believe his eyes, and his wrath equalled his astonishment. Together with that of the grand equerry, he ordered the immediate arrest of M. de Thou, his intimate friend, and the order went out to secure the Duke of Bouillon, then at the head of the army of Italy. He, caught, like Marshal Marillac, in the midst of his troops, had vainly attempted to conceal himself, but he was taken and conducted to the castle of Pignerol. Fontrailles had seen the blow coming. He went to visit the grand equerry, and, quote, Sir, said he, you are a fine figure. If you were shorter by the whole head, you would not cease to be very tall. As for me, who am already very short, nothing could be taken off me without inconveniencing me, and making me cut the poorest figure in the world. You will be good enough, if you please, to let me get out of the way of edged tools. End quote. And he set out for Spain, whence he had hardly returned. What had become of the most guilty, if not the most dangerous of all the accomplices? 
monsieur quote, the king's only or unique brother as madame de motteville calls him had come as far as moulins and had sent to ask the grand equerry to appoint a place of meeting when he heard of his accomplice's arrest and before long that of the duke of bouillon frightened to death as he was he saw that treachery was safer than flight and just as the king had joined the all but dying cardinal at tarascon there arrived an emissary from the duke of orleans bringing letters from him he assured the king of his fidelity he entreated chavigny the minister's confidant to give him quote, means of seeing his eminence before he saw the king in which case all would go well end quote he appealed to the cardinal's generosity begging him to keep his letter as an eternal reproach if he were not thenceforth the most faithful and devoted of his friends abbe de la riviere who was charged to implore pardon for his master was worthy of such a commission he confessed everything he signed everything though he quote, all but died of terror end quote, and at the cardinal's demand he soon brought all those poltrooneries written out in the duke of orleans own hand the prince was all but obliged to appear at the trial and deliver up his accomplices in the face of the whole world the respect however of chancellor siguier for his rank spared him this crowning disgrace the king's orders to his brother after being submitted to the cardinal bore this note in the minister's hand quote, monsieur will have in his place of exile twelve thousand crowns a month the same sum that the king of spain had promised to give him paralysis of the arm did not prevent the head from acting the dying cardinal had dictated to the king stretched on a couch at his side in a chamber of his house at montfrain near tarascon those last commands which completed the dishonour of the duke of orleans and the ruin of the favourite louis the thirteenth slowly took the road back to fontainebleau in the cardinal's litter which the latter had lent him the prisoners were left in the minister's keeping who ordered them before long to lyons whither he was himself removed the grand equerry coming from montpellier m de thou from tarascon in a boat towed by that of the cardinal and the duke of bouillon from pignerol were all three lodged in the castle of pierre Ancise. their examination was put off until the arrival of such magistrates quote, as should be capable of philosophizing and perpetually thinking of the means they must use for arriving at their ends end quote that was useless inasmuch as the grand equerry quote, never ceased to say quite openly that he had done nothing to which the king had not consented louis the thirteenth was no doubt affected by such language for scarcely had he arrived at fontainebleau whither he had been preceded by news of the end of the queen his mother who had died at cologne in exile and poverty when he wrote to all the parliaments of his kingdom to the governors of the provinces and to the ambassadors at foreign courts to give his own account of the arrest of the guilty and the part he himself had played in the matter Quote, the notable and visible change which for the last year appeared in the conduct of sieur de saint mars our grand equerry made us resolve as soon as we perceived it to carefully keep watch on his actions and his words in order to fathom them and discover what could be the cause to this end we resolved to let him act and speak with us more freely than heretofore and in a letter written straight to the chancellor the king exclaims in wrath quote, it is true that having seen me sometimes dissatisfied with the cardinal whether from the apprehension i felt lest he should hinder me from going to the siege of perpignan or to induce me to leave it for fear lest my health might suffer or from any other like reason the said sieur de saint mars left nothing undone to chafe me against my said cousin which i put up with so long as his evil offices were confined within the bounds of moderation but when he went so far as to suggest to me that the cardinal must be got rid of and offered to carry it out himself i conceived a horror of his evil thoughts and held them in detestation 
although i have only to say so for you to believe it there is nobody who can deem but that it must have been so for otherwise what motive would he have had for joining himself to spain against me if i had approved of what he desired the trial was a foregone conclusion the king and his brother made common cause in order to overwhelm the accused quote, an earnest of a peace which was not such as god announced with good will to man on christmas day writes madame de Motteville, but such as may exist at court and amongst brothers of royal blood the cardinal did not think it necessary to wait for the sentence he had arrived at his house at lyons in a sort of square chamber covered with red damask and borne on the shoulders of eighteen guards there stretched upon his couch a table covered with papers beside him he worked and chatted with whomsoever of his servants he had been pleased to have as his companion on the road it was in the same equipage that he left lyons to gain the loire and return to paris on his passage it was necessary to pull down lumps of wall and throw bridges over the fosses to make way for this vast litter and the indomitable man that lay dying within it it was on the twelfth of september sixteen forty two that the accused appeared before the commission there were now but two of them the duke of bouillon had made his private arrangement with the cardinal confessing everything and requesting quote, to have his life spared in order that he might employ it to preserve to the catholic church five little children whom his death would leave to persons of the opposite religion in consideration of this pardon a demand was made upon him to give up sedan to the king quote, though it were easy to gain possession of it by investment the duke consented to all and he awaited in his dungeon at pierre Ancise the execution of his accomplices who had no town to surrender their death was to be the signal of his liberation the two accused denied nothing m de Thou merely maintained that he had not been in any way mixed up with a conspiracy proving that he had blamed the treaty with spain and that his only crime was not having revealed it Quote, he believed me to be his friend his one faithful friend said he speaking of saint mars and i had no mind to betray him the grand equerry told in detail the story of the plot his connection with the duke of orleans who had missed no opportunity of paying court to him the resolutions taken in concert with the duke of bouillon and the treaty concluded with spain quote, confessing that he had erred and had no hope but in the clemency of the king and of the cardinal whose generosity would be so much the more shown in asking pardon for him as he was the less bound to do so there was not long to wait for the decree the votes were unanimous against the grand equerry a single one of the judges pronouncing in favor of m de Thou. the latter turned towards saint mars and said quote, ah well sir humanly speaking i might complain of you you have placed me in the dock and you are the cause of my death but god knows how i love you let us die sir let us die courageously and win paradise the decree against saint mars sentenced him to undergo the question in order to get a more complete revelation of his accomplices quote, it had been resolved not to put him to it says talemont but it was exhibited to him nevertheless it gave him a turn but it did not make him do anything to belie himself and he was just taking off his doublet when he was told to raise his hand in sign of telling the truth the execution was not destined to be long deferred. The very day on which the sentence was delivered saw the execution of it. Quote, the grand equerry showed a never-changing and very resolute firmness to the death, together with admirable calmness and the constancy and devoutness of a Christian, wrote M. Dumarca, councillor of state, to the secretary of state Brionne, and Talemont d'Hérault adds, quote, he died with astoundingly great courage and did not waste time in speechifying. He would not have his eyes bandaged, and kept them open when the blow was struck. 
M. de Thou said not a word save to God, repeating the credo even to the very scaffold, with a fervor of devotion that touched all present. Quote, we have seen, says a report of the time, the favorite of the greatest and most just of kings lose his head upon the scaffold at the age of twenty-two, but with a firmness which has scarcely its parallel in our histories. We have seen a counsellor of state die like a saint after a crime which men cannot justly pardon. There is nobody in the world who, knowing of their conspiracy against the state, does not think them worthy of death, and there will be few who, having knowledge of their rank and their fine natural qualities, will not mourn their sad fate. End quote. Quote, now that I make not a single step which does not lead me to death, I am more capable than anybody else of estimating the value of the things of the world, wrote Saint-Marc to his mother, the wife of Marshal Quote, Enough of this world, away to paradise, said M. de Thou, as he marched to the scaffold. Chalet and Montmorency had used the same language. At the last hour, and at the bottom of their hearts, the frivolous courtier and the hare-brained conspirator, as well as the great soldier and the grave magistrate, had recovered their faith in God. End of section 23. End of chapter 38.